again, our listeners wouldn't be able to see, but we're we're not in that office together. Hope to be there next week, but uh, we're where are you today, Bruce? Well, I'm at the office. We're normally we are together, but we had to go remote again because now Marlena has COVID. <laughs> And we're trying to... Uh, by the way, so how is she doing? How's, uh... <laughs> I almost got real smart. Like, <laughs> she's, she's actually doing... <laughs> she's doing really well. Praise God for that. Because I know a lot of people... We're, I mean, we're hearing stories from people our age and people that have had terrible weeks and weeks and weeks of suffering. Oh, no, Bruce. I, yeah, I was talking to somebody, a, another pastor in town. Okay. Um... Well, I know, like, Rick Johnson got it. Well, that's what I was, I was thinking of Rick, and and, yep. and a brutal case. Yep. I mean, just very... Um, this, it, this is the most <laughs> random, and that's why I guess they're calling it a novel coronavirus, that, that I have ever, I mean, uh, experienced. Obviously, I've, you know, I've been on the planet 56 years, and we've seen different viruses. But this one, you know, every possible symptom on the planet mimics coronavirus. Right. Yeah. For some people, including our 89-year-old aunt, it's almost like just a blip on the computer screen. Right. Yeah, barely, you know. A sniffle. Uh, right, exactly. Others, it's completely asymptomatic, which yep. makes it that much more diabolical because they, they don't know that they have it or they're potentially spreading it. Right. Others have mild cases like I had and like Marlena had. And then others, are, it becomes fatal. So it's this, or or cases again that go for weeks. Okay, right. someone survives, but it's it's not two or three days. I mean, it's it's in the weeks, and 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 to talk to people who are still and, feeling uh, right, fatigue and and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so yeah, it's very hard to. I mean, unlike somehow, at least in my brain, when I think about the flu, it's like sort of. Well, you generally know what the symptoms of the flu are, and it's right. Um, anyway, yes, that it's a, a very, very challenging, disorienting in that way. Yep. So, our viewers can see this; our listeners can't. Roger, what do you think of my Elvis impersonation jacket today? <laughs> it's all white. I feel like I should be on stage singing to ladies and throwing a scarf off into the audience. Well, I dare not encourage you to to sing your favorite uh, Elvis tune, but... Well, that would be Heartbreak Hotel, and I'm not going to go into it. I sang it for Roger earlier, offline. Come on. Not to bring that... Come on. Since my baby left me, dun-dun, I found a new place to dwell. Dun-dun, it's down on the end of Lonely Street called... Heartbreak Hotel. I like it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't really sing with me, I noticed. You were doing some kind of pathetic dance, <laughs> but not singing. I was just thinking about the demise of our podcast now. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, we, well, why don't you take over? We, we, we had a good run. <laughs> There are some important things to talk about today. In fact, as we're filming and shooting this, this is Inauguration Day. So very important. That is right. We, uh, our standard Wednesday uh, recording, yes. Yep, Wednesday recording. And I was reading this morning in the New York Times. They were they were doing a rundown of, of like the, the three inaugurations that seem similar to this one. One was in, in 1861 when... Uh, 
Abraham Lincoln was being inaugurated, uh-huh. they had to do it very stealthily because there was an assassination plot of, I didn't realize this in 1861. Uh-huh. So they, they were worried about Lincoln being assassinated, so they actually <laughs> stuck him in kind of the back way to get him into D.C. Anyway, just an interesting story there. Right. And then, then again in 1865, when they did the inauguration, it was very, very small. It's interesting, they were in a pandemic. Smallpox was ravaging the country. Really? And this historian noted that John Wilkes Booth was in the audience that day at the inauguration in 1865. Yeah, how's that for fascinating? Okay. And then the other one that they mentioned was 1945 when, and I I had forgotten this, when uh, FDR was being inaugurated, Roger, for a fourth time. Franklin... D. Roosevelt, and of course, obviously now that's limited to two terms. Correct. But he he died three months later. Yeah. So they 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 did a very brief. The whole inauguration was only fifteen minutes because he was having a hard time standing. And literally three months later, he passed. Had a cerebral hemorrhage and passed. So it was. They said those looking back were just very memorable but odd um, inaugurations in our country. Which is a great reminder. Sometimes, I mean, even we can look and say this season, it's very easy for us to say, you know, oh my goodness, nothing like this has happened before. We can't, <clears throat> and we. But it's not true. It's not true. And it can even be a, this little dangerous place of we somehow make our moment in history or our time so much bigger or it's so much weightier somehow than other that we get too focused with that, which gives us perspective. Well, it should, but the, we need that perspective, a reminder that, wait, no, there have been ups and downs, there have been challenges, there have been sobering, frightening moments in our democracy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, some of the things you mentioned there, I, I hadn't heard at all. I didn't know, and I appreciated this writer just going back and giving some perspective yeah. to this is not a new thing in our country, and one was right before the Civil War, the other one was right after the Civil War, or, or as that whole thing was right. wrapping up, if you will. And then the other one was right at the end of World War II. So that 1945 inauguration was within months, I think World War II had ended officially. Okay. So it's just an interesting world and and time. And, and of course, Jesus said, he promised, he said, by the way, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and you know, famine and disease, and, and, and I'm like, yeah, we're we're seeing all that. And, and Jesus would say, don't, but don't let that trouble you. You know, the end is the end is, is still yet to come. And and of course, then he points them back to the gospel, which I just love. Right, but but, but the end won't come until this gospel is preached to the to the nation. The good news of of God reconciling men to Himself. And so that's what I keep coming back to, no matter what's going on in our world politically, pandemically. Or on any other front, we have this opportunity. We have this, as Paul said, treasure hidden in jars of clay. We're just, we're, you know, we're a mess. We're very fallible. We're, we're, we're mortal for now, but we have this treasure, this light that God wants us to take to the world. And I think Roger, the, you know, for our listeners that don't know, Roger wrote an article. Uh, a blog post this week about when old glory gets too close to Jesus and the church doesn't notice. I've gotten so much interaction on my Facebook page ra- around that, and also, and and from 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 people on both both sides of what I would call a political fence right now. Yeah. 
And so I think it was just an important clarion call to, we need to fix our eyes on Christ, not on political issues and even pandemic issues. And because Jesus just said, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be intrigue and there's going to be war and famine and all of that. But this gospel, and it's almost like he was giving, he was giving us a marching order. Hey, when all this has happened, you just, you stay on track with the gospel. It's got to go to the nations. It's got to go to the world. Yeah, and it's funny, because <laughs> we've seen this thing, I think we've talked a bit about it before, this kind of weird thing that happens with some prophetic words we see in the scripture, where we actually respond to them in a way that's exactly opposite of what God intended, why he gave the prophecy. You know? Yeah, unpack that, you're exactly right. Well, what I mean, yeah, so, so we'll look at... We'll look at maybe words, okay, there's going to be a season where there's disease and there's famine and there's war. And, um, well, first of all, um, there's been a lot of points in history like that, first of all. So I think part of even the, the, the vagueness, if you would, is, is the point, actually, that God is so often making, stay about the main thing. Because actually the things that do want to get it, you know, oh, there's this upheaval, there's all this stuff going on, oh, my, what are we going to do? No, just stay the course, just because yes. I'm in charge, I'm, but but where we so often go, and I just sense this even now, is, is oh, this is the time God was talking about, so now I get focused, hyper-focused on politics, I get hope, so now, yes. because... God has warned, you know, that there uh, may one day be a world, one world kind of government. And so now we'll look at a prophetic word. Oh, we've seen things that might look like that. And so now we're starting thinking about government. And what? And that was, or, or, that was or, never the point. No, or how to stop that thing from happening. Right. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all the weapons you can and just amass them at your home because this is coming. And when it comes, you've got to be ready to shoot and kill people? No. He said you've got to live ready. Don't let your love go right. cold. I want you to be about the work of my kingdom, not stockpiling weapons or it's it, even, you know, on, on the night that he's being betrayed, you know, he, he asks, all right, so <laughs> have you guys got any swords? And they're like, well, we got two of them. And he's like, well, that'll, that'll be plenty. Which is, of course, there's, there's 13 of them, so it's not even much per person. And, and I think of course, when they when, when Peter uses the sword, he goes, "Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa!" I, that might it's even interesting. That might have been the point, the, the reason that even Jesus said, "Hey, have you guys got swords?" Because he's going to make a point about what my kingdom is not on that night. Yeah, my kingdom is not about military power or force or the, you know the geopolitical kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, and right. that's where I think we have to just keep staying. Our citizenship is not here. Paul at one point says have nothing to do with with the sort of citizen affairs the, you know that don't get caught up in and I wonder if even sometimes our uh, engagement or obsession with government and politics is we're getting caught up in civilian affairs mm. we're, we're, we're called to be about the work of Christ this is this is if you will these are our marching orders yep and it's not it's certainly not about weaponizing things and taking people out and protecting our rights you know jesus just said you have to give up everything to follow well it's funny to me when i when i just thought about this because i see this 
So some of the language I'm hearing in the church at some point is, um, oh, this group is, is looking to take our country. They're, they're, they're looking to change. They're looking to take over. So there's this idea. There's this America. There's this vision of America that I have that I think this is the true America, whatever. But these people are looking to take over. And these people, and yep. so fill in the blank, you know, whether it's socialists or liberalists, liberals or or fundamentalists or what whatever or or christians yes exactly right they're they're looking to take over they're looking and the funny thing is it's the exact same kind of environment when jesus walked the planet except they had already taken over i mean (laughs) yes and you pointed out in your article that jesus didn't do a thing about that And by the way, when he left the planet, they were still under Roman rule. Right. In fact, Jesus said, in your generation, the Roman rule that you're experiencing, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And, and he didn't stop it. And what's sobering to me, you know, this is, this is the thing that's sobering is how many people rejected Jesus when they realized he didn't come to free them from Rome? That... In other words, this was a huge national priority on that. The, these people have, have taken away our nation. They have, they have, and so you, we talk about something that might happen. That was already their reality. It already happened. These people have come in. They've taken our place. They've taken our country. It would be like China coming in, invading America, and actually occupying America. And now we're living under Chinese rule. And and Jesus is like, yeah, I don't want you to do anything about that. That's not that's not your thing. I want you to be about my work. I want you to be about the work of the kingdom. I want you to, interestingly enough, free the captives. Right. So when he said, so when he said, my work is to do the will of him that sent me, they had this dawning realization, which was sobering. Uh, this work he came to sent, that he sent me to do was not to free Israel from Rome. That, that actually, and in fact, <laughs> Jesus would do things that seem to be just the opposite. He's going to say to a Roman centurion at one point, he says, I have not seen anyone in Israel with has as much faith as this Roman centurion. How many people <laughs> cut Jesus off at that point? They said, I, no, I, this guy is a heretic. He is off base because he's. He's not looking to... You can't, you can't celebrate a Roman soldier for right. any reason whatsoever. It's even that, you know, Jesus would say things like, if a person forces you to go one mile. Well, this is what was in direct relation to Roman occupation. That's right. Where a Roman soldier could come and force you to carry his gear, his stuff, for a mile. Jesus says, go with him two miles. I don't think we realize how offensive that was to people. You're telling me to submit to this person's rule and even go beyond that? Right. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you to do. Oh, and here's a, here's a little nugget of Jesus about your enemies. Don't repay evil for evil. Uh, uh, if someone takes something from you, including your country and your land, Jesus says, give it to them, don't demand it back. And we I, don't... Yeah. Go ahead. I'm just saying, we, I, I think we've, 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 we reframe all of the teachings of Christ on an, on an American ideal that we have in our head that... America sort of supersedes anything that Jesus said, or Jesus understood that later America would be the new the new chosen people of God or the new chosen country and 
and we talked about this last week, and this part of the reason I wanted to go down this path. If it's this whole thing, and I think there's a huge problem, it's like at one point Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Okay, so that's that was a big overarching. It was the only time in Scripture that, that we know of that Jesus said God or something. He said God or money. But as I'm going further in this walk with Jesus, and I'm watching what's happening in our world right now, I'm like, I think it's dangerous to put God in anything. It's, you know, God <laughs> yes. and country. Because you and I grew up, Roger, I realized this. We were baptized in the God and country model, but not just that. God and country and the Republican Party model, yep. not just that. God and country and the Republican Party model and the leader of that sure. party, whoever that was. And and I, I, I remember thinking in my in my little mind, particularly as a young person, the Republican Party was God's party and they could do no wrong. And the whole idea, the concept of the moral majority, which we grew up in that world, that fundamentalist yeah, yeah. world and, and Jerry Falwell, this was... It was ordained by God, and and it was almost that. So they that that leader or that party really can't do anything wrong because they're ordained by God. And I'm realizing, gosh, I've I've had to. It's been a tremendous unlearning process for me to realize. What was it? As Andy Stanley said, Jesus didn't come to earth to take sides. <laughs> he came to take over. Yeah, yeah. I think he was quoting. Um, oh. Maybe Anthony Campolo. He was quoting somebody who said, "Yes, that um, in a very powerful word." Um, yeah, I think the what happens when all of those things get so close, you lose your ability. It's why. So God, we understand, is perfect, and He's flawless, and He's righteous, and He's good. There's not anything to question there. There's not any. Um, He's the, he's the measure by which we measure every other thing. The problem is, when any other thing gets put next to him, we lose the ability to discern what's wrong or flawed or mistaken because we've literally put them at the same level. And by the way, you've said it happens with others. I've seen it happen with churches with a pastor or a yeah. church. People come to believe that now... They re without realizing, they've come to actually embrace this church or this pastor as so close to God. I lose my ability to discern what's unhealthy in this church, what's unhealthy about this pastor, because I've I've overlaid them, and yeah. and this is the sobering thing. And this happens without us really, but in the political realm. And by I see this with all my Christian friends. You know, I've got Christian friends um, who would be heavily aligned with the de democratic platform sure. and i have others christian friends heavily aligned with the republican platform and either one of us can get it overlaid too much where we, we we see a party we lose our ability for instance then to evaluate a party's platform because we've literally we will make that platform we've actually baptized we don't realize sometimes we've baptized the platform we might even see the black the platform almost as close as scripture we might see a leader almost as close as jesus and and we can no longer discern you don't once you've done that and here's the clue that that could be happening you get offended someone starts raising questions about your church oh my goodness oh, i'm not even going to listen to that you start ringing up things about my church um watch where this happens you you start bringing up something about my party oh and here's another one 
and I've, I've encountered this. I'm talking to people, and sometimes, you know, there's some parts of our American history that break the heart of God, and you start talking about that, and I'll say, put, oh, oh, my gosh, no, there's no, you can't, I can't even, and this, I think, is that warning when country and God get overlaid, well, you don't question God, but once you overlay it now, you don't question country. You don't question this leader. You don't. And this is one of the things Jesus, he knows how we tend to get there, and he's trying to protect us. Don't put anything next to Jesus, because eventually you'll overlay them, and you won't be able to discern the difference. And, and here's the thing. There's a little trickle-down effect in my in my experience watching this of the, the God and country and how it trickles down in different things. And by the way, I'm so glad you said what you did about we have you have, you have, you have passionate Christians that are passionately a part of the Democratic Party, yes. and they were baptized into that. Yep. When I talked to some of my friends, they were raised in a household that, that hey, the Democratic Party would represent the ideals of God, the ideals for caring for the poor, and, yes. and all of that. So it's not one or the other. No. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm watching as I watch people quote different things, and as I see how they're reacting to cultural things. Roger... In, 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 in some Christian settings right now, people are equating the Constitution of the United States with the Bible. That we are somehow called to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States at all costs. You realize I'll have people I've, I've watched in the last couple of weeks, people talking about censorship and the problem of censorship. Hey, we have the First Amendment right, you know, this freedom of speech. You understand, the Bible does not give us such protection. The Bible, in fact, says you are to censor your own speech. You, you are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, uh, Ephesians 4 says, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only that which will benefit, not the, not the speaker, only that which will benefit the listener. We don't have a First Amendment right by Scripture. I mean, if you're going to take scriptural standards, but a lot of people would, t- would believe, because this God and country thing has gotten so close, no, the Bible protects freedom of speech, right? No, it doesn't. It says that we're to be temperate in our speech. We're to be careful. Right. We, we, don't, we can't just say anything <laughs> that, we, that we want. And so I've been like, I wonder what other places that we're, we're, where things are getting too close. The Bible's becoming the Constitution. We talk about it, old glory, the flag, you know, the symbol of American values, but potentially even replacing the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Even in that piece that you quoted where, where Vice President Pence, you know, had, had, had taken a framework from Scripture, let us fix our eyes on old glory. Taking Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and so Jesus was taken out of that, and the old, cross was taken out of that. Yeah, yeah. But old glory was left in that. And what you pointed out that I thought was so important for us to just think about, we just need to settle in and think about this. Someone took a scriptural passage and replaced it with what I would call Americana, and and most people thought that was actually a good idea. Right. No, it was interesting because it was intriguing in that Republican National Convention speech yep. that Jesus disappears from that verse, I mean, this anchor verse. I mean, I learned that verse early on this was a looking yes. into jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross to take that verse and say looking unto old glory and then looking unto this nation of heroes so we took in this verse don't really we took jesus out and took the cross out and replaced it with america and the flag and the flag and, and and the heroes of America 
you know, re- referencing patriots or soldiers, or right? Whatever he was understanding to be the heroes of America, but but it is it, 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 it took Jesus out of that equation. Roger, wouldn't we be horrified if someone took John three sixteen and said, "For God so loved the world that He gave the United States to be the Savior of the world, and everyone who pledges their allegiance to the United States will be a part of God's kingdom." We would be horrified. Right. We, uh, or, I'm sorry. I hope we would be horrified. Well, this is where th- I think the sobering moment for me is. See, I didn't watch the either convention. So last August or uh, last end of last year, I didn't watch the Republican National Convention. I didn't watch the uh, Democratic. I didn't. I, now I read both of their platforms, but um, the pep rallies and the kinds of things that end up being started around the conventions, I didn't. Um, I, so I didn't watch. E- Either of those, I did. I didn't learn what President Pence, Vice President Pence, did in that moment till a week ago. The sobering thing for me wow. is, of all the circles I know, all the people I know, the Christians, the the people I've grown up, the church I've grown up with. In, what is what was sobering to me is, I didn't hear about that for five months. How, but when you say, I hope you would notice, I, it's just, wait, wait, that happened. I, are you telling me that no Christians in my circles listened to that speech? Well, th- this is the thing. This Other. is the sobering thing is I didn't know about it for five months. When, when I read it, when I read it a week ago, I couldn't stop. I, I was... This was, I, I was, there was a heaviness in my heart. And, and by the way, I'll tell you, I think I'm on a little side note here, but it's a grace. And I think sometimes God gives us a moment, a kind of a gracious moment to see when we've crossed the line where, where there's a, and there's where I felt when I got to this, I'm, and, and I just couldn't get it off my spirit. So I've got to write something on that. But I didn't want to write that quickly. In fact, I was just pouring over that. It took me hours, probably 12 hours, all told. I would say something like that. I'm thinking through. But the thing, the heaviness I was waiting, that, that was such a wrestle is, was the crickets. How, how could it be possible? How could it be possible, literally, that you'd have a, a cornerstone Bible verse? This is like a John 3.16 type of right, verse right. in the Bible about top focusing on Jesus and putting our whole hope on him, this one who died on the cross for us, and he's seated at the right hand of the glory of the Father, how literally Jesus' name could be pulled out, the glory of the cross, and sitting at the right hand of the Father, that could be moved out, and you're going to replace it with the glory of old glory. You're going to replace it with the nation of heroes. So you take the hero of Jesus who died to save the world, replace it with a nation of heroes. You take the cross, the symbol of suffering and and giving up and sacrifice, and you replace it with a flag representing our strength and our glory. And our, it, The fact that that could happen and that pastors were not warning me, that people were not saying to me, um, I just felt like when I saw that, are we missing this moment God gave us to say, hey, there's a point 
when I try and make it real obvious, do you see it's gone kind of far? Because drift happens slowly. And by the way, I, I'm the king of drift. And even now, there are places where I get off base, but <laughs> there can be a moment where you say, oh, my goodness, this thing. And Roger, not only, uh, let, me, let me just take it a little step further. Not only did I, because I didn't watch any of that. I didn't watch any of the Democratic National Convention or the Republican yep. National Convention, yep. either one. Yep. But but after the Republican National Convention, I actually had friends that said this was the best convention ever. So so it wasn't just that it wasn't just that there were crickets because there weren't crickets. There was actually folks, that, and these are good folks, by the way, good folks. Oh yes. But they, but but they didn't see. Okay, I'm gonna throw the big word out there, and you're gonna explain it. They didn't see the syncretism of that moment. Yeah. They didn't see what was happening, and I'm like, how often do I do that? Because you and I, I would, I'm, I'm the chief of drift too. I mean, I don't real. The, the, the whole point about drift is you can't see it when it's happening. Right. Right. You're just, it's just slowly. Be, in this case, you're not slowly moving away. You're slowly melding something. It's to, it, to the point that the Constitution and the Bible are indistinguishable. That Jesus and the cross are indistinguishable from America and the flag, and the heroes. This is the thing. The heroes that gave their life. For America, somehow to be on an equal on on a on a plane with Jesus, yeah, and his death on the cross—it's just well. And what's sobering to me there is, I think the problem of equating, but actually Jesus on the cross disappeared, and the other took front stage. It was almost like okay, now the second act was Jesus, and the, but the, but I'm really getting more to the. Um, when something gets, you're putting them next to each other and they get overlaid, you can't distinguish anymore. You find, so this is what I think is the sobering thing is, I think people didn't notice that that happened because Jesus and the country had already been overlaid at a level. It's difficult to separate. God is so for our country. He is so for everything we're doing. We are his chosen anointed vessel somehow or country in the world that we're that once you get them so close that it doesn't seem odd when because you can you can interchange them and so i I do want to circle back to though why this becomes so critical or why you know we can talk about idolatry and and putting something in place of jesus but what that invariably does it changes the focus of your passion, your priorities, and your mission. In other words, once, you, once you've overlaid them, then focusing hours and hours of time, all my Facebook posts or all my words and the things I'm talking about on country and country and country doesn't seem odd in the world because I'm actually promoting Christianity. I'm actually po- promoting the way of God. I don't realize that it's getting me off off God's mission. So I look back to Jesus when he said, go the extra mile with those Roman centurions. Go do this. It's because his concern was not a political king. Here's what he wanted. He he, he wanted... what you're going to say. Well, he wanted those Roman centurions in the kingdom. Yes! That's what we're missing. Yes. The part of loving your enemy was, he said, I want you to be like my father in heaven. Right. Who gives rain to the righteous and the unrighteous? Who allows the sun to shine on the Romans and on the Jews? Right. And and we missed it. Right. They missed it, and we're missing it today because we've gotten so attached to 
God wants it to, to, he wants to rain blessings. Remember, even flags, I'm sorry, even license plates in, in Alabama, you can get a plate that says, God bless America. Yeah. And I remember as a young person, I felt so much pride when that song was sung, God bless America. You know why? Because America was acknowledging that there was a God. Mm. Which, I guess that's good, unless we make that God in our own image. Well, if we make him, he's America's God. He's, he's America's God. He's for us. It's the thing where, where the songs become he's for us and not for our enemies. I think, I think about this. What, what, again, let's go back to the horror of taking a, a top ten scripture, maybe the top one of all time, John 3.16. If anyone at any party at a convention said, for God so loved the United States that he established the Democratic Party and whoever pledges it, we would be, again, I, hopefully we would be horrified. But in some ways, we live that out. We do. We do live out like like God has established America as the most favored nation. And I don't think it's just America, by the way. I think this happens all over the world, where there's any kind of of uh, national national pride, love of country, and those things. There's a temptation to attach God to that. Here's the beautiful thing: God does love America. Yes. God does love Iran. Yes. God does love China and yep. North Korea and the United Kingdom. And I mean, so that's where we, that's where we have to temper our understanding of we of even understanding political issues or governmental issues. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not saying this well. It, it's not that we don't engage on any of those things. And I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Even because being raised, there was, I can remember being taught that it was my responsibility, moral responsibility to vote, mm-hmm. you know, in an election. Right. And then as I began reading scripture more and more, just on my own, I was like, hold it, it's interesting. It, it seems to say that God sets up kings and rulers and leaders, and my job is to submit to them and pray for them. <laughs> mm. But, and I realized we're in an interesting, they didn't have, I guess, voting people back in the first century right. and before. <laughs> right. Yes. So it's this tension of well, you know, because I've you know I've voted for years, but some of that, some of that came from a sense that I have this responsibility. So wherever a person ends up on that, I still trust that God is setting up leaders and deposing leaders. God gives people an opportunity to lead well or lead poorly. That's a decision that they have to make. Um, so I always come back to where I where I, today, as I was you know getting up this morning, I was thinking you know today we we inaugurate a new president got same king right nothing's changed see to me the question that we have to keep coming back to that it's where the overlap gets us away okay today what does the king so jesus keeping keeping your eyes on jesus looking unto jesus uh, setting our eyes on things above it's the question today what's jesus passion about and is is jesus is our belief Oh goodness! I, I, you need to be fighting for your country. You, you know. By the way, those socialists are coming to take over your country. So today, you need to be. That needs to be your main prayer, and that needs to be what your focus, and that needs to. I, I will say, is this what? <laughs> we need to look at who who are our enemies. Who do we see as the enemy? The enemy is the deceiver. It's the God who's trying to take out us. Yes. As believers, it's a God who's tr- it's the it's the 
it's the <laughs> the evil who's looking to take out non-believers, people who aren't there, and he's looking to do everything he can to fight God's kingdom. God is passionately concerned, and I guess this is part of the one of the questions I raised in in that blog piece that is. Are we more concerned about saving our country from those people, whatever that fill-in-the-blank group is? Are we more concerned about that than those people coming to know Jesus? Those people, yes. this is this is where the focus gets off. Now, now we see if our country is the champion, if this is what God is concerned about, then those people are going against God. They're going against everything he wants. So they are my enemy. So now I'm supposed, I can despise them. I can mock them. I can ridicule them. I can refuse to listen to them. I can label them. Um, and I can feel comfortable not praying for them. I can despise them. And I lose my heart. What you see at the cross, this is the thing. The cross is these two kingdoms going on. And what you know what? Jesus on a cross, it's the worst possible thing politically. This will get him absolutely nothing. And the comedy, the tragic comedy of the cross is you have Rome and Israel who end up in this weird, uncomfortable alliance where they decide together what's best for our countries is to take this guy out. Yes. So... So they agreed on nothing else. Right. And and it's purely a marriage of convenience. So politics was in full sway. Rome was trying to protect its power. Israel was trying to protect the power that they had. So they're going to we're going to work together. Um, and so their power is threats and force and violence. Jesus kingdom is it is powerfully at work. He's doing nothing at a political level. In fact, what he's doing at this point is obviously political suicide. Because once the Messiah dies, he can't save the country. He can't. This is this. And by the way, there had been messiahs in the past who people believed these were this was the person who was going to come in and save the country. And they ended up on a cross. Jesus on a cross because. He's not there for a political kingdom, but watch what happens. He's on a cross, and he's forgiving, and he's 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 welcoming this insurrectionist and killer into paradise with him. A, a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross is is saying, "Oh my goodness, he's 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 the one. This is the yeah, Son of yeah, God." Like, I, I you know when, after I read your piece and we talked about it, I was like, you know, the cross. <clears throat> was the demonstration of the power of God. Uh, right. Because in that moment, you said it so well in your in your post, the insurrectionist on the cross was the enemy of Rome. Right. But in that moment, <clears throat> Jesus tears down all the geopolitical borders and, and welcomes this insurrectionist who may have been a zealot like Barabbas. Yes, yep. And may have been the person who was killing <clears throat> Roman soldiers. And you have a Roman centurion who is proclaiming this is the son of God in the same moment and it's it's the weakness of god the weakness of jesus dying on a cross it just makes me wonder for the first for the first time after jesus was raised from the dead maybe he went back 40 days later because people still wanted him oh he's been raised from the dead now he's going to establish the nation mm. of israel yeah. yeah have you ever thought about that <laughs> that that now that he's raised oh 
it turns out he was the one that was going to. Right. And, and, and Jesus had said, the scripture records that for, was it 40 days after, or 40 or 50 days after, oh, it was 40 days after his resurrection, he preached the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. Yeah. He preached the kingdom. And and maybe after 40 days of preaching the kingdom, his disciples go, you know, I don't think he's going to rescue Israel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get Roman rule over with. But no, and so then th- those memorable words again, go and make disciples of all nations. Yes. We're stopping seeing other nations as enemies. We're, we're, they're not the bad guy. They're not. We're going to go make disciples of all nations. You're going to go to Samaritans. You're going to go to Gentiles. You're going to go to Romans. You're going to go. You're going to go to all of these people. Make disciples. Baptize them into the community, the family of God. Teach yes. them all the things. He does, again, there's not a single word. This is the thing that, again, I think you're right, still was troubling probably right to the very end. There's not a single instruction about fighting Rome, getting your country back. Because Jesus' main concern is not for any of us getting our country back. And whatever we think about our country, loving your country, appreciating is great. But to think that God's primary focus right now is any singular country and their identity in the world and their, no, his kingdom is about, I want people from all countries in my family. I want people from all countries to be with me. I want my people to stay centered. So this is the danger of that overlap is we start, yes, we start making enemies of people who we see anyone who's against our country. Or we believe whatever we make them the enemy, and we stop loving them. We stop because what becomes of the big sinner is is our country, our place in the world. And Jesus, this isn't your place in the world. You're you're sojourners, you're travelers, you're homeless, your home's another place. So why now are you looking to fight so much for your home and your place and your? If that's not that's not your primary focus. Don't lose, don't lose the sense of what the real kingdom is. Yes, and I think that's even why I think as 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 Paul got further and further and further into this this walking with God and this walking in the kingdom, I think over time there was a progression of even what was important to him. You know, Paul was a Roman citizen, so here's a Jew. Good point. Who's taken advantage, really, of who was, I'm going to use the word, he was privileged in their culture yes. in a lot of ways. Oh, gosh, heavily, yes. So, so he's a Jew, but he's got all of the privileges of being a Roman citizen. And yet he's the one that argues our citizenship is not here. And he's the one that argues, gosh, I long to be clothed with my heavenly dwelling. I'm just, I'm, I'm longing for, my citizenship isn't here. This is not my home. Mm-hmm. I want to be using your words. I want to be home with Father. But, he said, but. And because I'm using this passage this week in a celebration of life service that I'm doing, he says, but even though I long to be home, even though I would rather be away from this body, I'd rather die here so I could be so present with the Lord. He said, but he said, as long as I'm here, I have a ministry. And this is I never saw the connection. I have the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. He basically said, if God's going to leave me here, as long as I'm breathing, my job is to reconcile people to God. All people. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, that's that was so, that's such a powerful word for me right now in 
you know, because I even, 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 you know, last year when I was contemplating my mortality with MRIs and what's the problem and do I have a brain tumor? And I thought, you know what, every time I have left, because nothing's promised. Yeah. I want to be a minister of reconciliation. This is my call. This is this, this is the call of all followers of Jesus. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, every nation. Yeah. He had already said it before he died in Matthew 24, but then he says it again before he goes to heaven. I just, don't miss this, guys. This is an all-nation, and it heralds back, all or harkens back to what God promised Abraham that Abraham never saw. Mm. I'm going to make you a great nation, and your nation, this nation that I make, will be a blessing to all nations, which was unheard of at that time. Nations didn't bless another nation. You fought another nation. You took their land. Yeah, you built your that's power. Right. And yet yeah. God, all the way back six, you know, 4,000 years before, Jesus says, God says to Abraham, your nation, this nation that I'm making of you, is not going to be a nation that just takes over other nations. It's going to be a blessing to other nations. When I look at the nation of Israel, Roger, isn't it interesting how, I'm just going to talk geographically, how small they are? <laughs> I mean, yes. it's not quite... Luxembourg, but it's yeah small. Yeah, and yet from this one nation, God said, "You're going to be a blessing to all nations." It's like Roger. Dare I say it? God's had a plan all along because He loves the world. The world from the beginning. Yeah. So. Yeah. Any and anything that's keeping us from loving the world, anything that's making anybody else our enemy we got to remember the, the word you jesus came to reconcile enemies first enemies with god and by the way this is a, re- a healthy reminder bible scripture we're, we're all enemies of god we're all enemies of god so let's not get real you know oh those people are enemies no we are all enemies all need to be reconciled god came to reconcile us with him and then with each other. And this whole business, yeah, we're getting off of his kingdom when we're making enemies that somehow now we're fighting those people rather than trying to love them into the kingdom of God. Um, so may God help us just stay in a healthy place there. And God knows I I, I can drift so easily. I don't want anything here to be to strewed in a sense that somehow... I'm looking at all these other people who've got things off. I know even now there are things I'm I'm missing the heart of God. I prayed this this morning again. Joy and I were praying. You know, I want to help me see the places where I'm drifting. Help me see the places I'm getting off. I don't want to, um, but boy, I just I'm just praying that we have this wake up moment that just reminds us let's keep about the kingdom that matters to God. Yes. Pray for us. I know we haven't done that on our podcast, but I want to pray for us because I think this is so important. So God, I, I pray that you would give us the courage. This is going to take tremendous courage to continue to pursue the kingdom of God. That that we would that we would understand our race and the race that we're running is not political and it's not monetary, it's not military. It's this kingdom of love. 